You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. Yes, welcome again to another Physics Ed Podcast. Big week this week, and especially this week as I record this, it is National Science Week 2019, which means science is going off. It really, really is in libraries and schools and community events all over the place. And I tell you what, physics has been very, very, very busy at this time. And for this podcast, we're speaking with someone who's very busy herself, Libby Foley, who's a primary school teacher who first started out as a learning support teacher at Centenary State High School back in 2008, but really is truly passionate about mathematics and science education for primary kids and has bounced around Queensland, as you'll hear in this interview, in all sorts of ways, getting STEM just going. Now, she's very much busy and well-respected when it comes to science and maths education, especially maths. Uh, she was the resolved maths by inquiring champion and a teacher keynote speaker at the Australian Association of Mathematics Teachers Biannual Conference this year in July. She's been sharing all of her different ideas and teaching workshops at the Queensland Association for Mathematics Teachers Early Years Conference and all sorts of other places. So, look, Libby is a very, very passionate person and has done some very interesting uh career moves through the uh, through her time in education, as you'll hear, but she's very, very down to earth and would love to share her ideas with you. So let's hear from Libby Foley, who's got a lot to say, and we've got a lot to learn. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech, and more. To see 100 fun, free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. And click 100 free experiments. Hello, happy to be here. Look, I'm really stoked to have you here, considering just uh, just how busy your holidays have been. I mean, I always want to joke that I don't really think there's such thing as a holiday for teachers. <laughs> Everyone who's not a teacher assumes we have these amazing holidays every time, but that's not reality. Um, so the last two weeks, I've just come off of a very busy working holiday. The first week I was doing mad preparations for the Australian Association of Math Teachers Biennial Conference. So I wrote a research paper. I was a teacher keynote speaker. So that involved one hour keynote presentation with a PowerPoint to supplement the words coming out of my mouth. And I ran an hour long workshop so that there could be some practical sides of a different topic on mathematics I was talking about. So a week of preparation and then a week-long conference, which was fabulous and a really great experience. Um, But, you know, long days, you've got a conference, there's all the networking and social activities at night, and you pretty much just go home to rest, sleep, and hit, hit it again the next day. Yeah, I know those conferences can get insane. I mean, I only just got back a couple of weeks ago from ISTE in Florida, the International Society for Technology and Education yeah. Conference. And I wouldn't say four days. I'd call it six days straight of just there's learning throughout the day and then there's learning slash partying at night, which is crazy because you're still sort of working and yet it's now 11 o'clock at night and you're really tired, but there's still more ideas flowing. These yeah. things are And you come back exhausted. Yeah, and the conference is, oh, it's amazing for going between you know, the lecture style um, presentations or keynotes or, or major talks and then going into workshops, which are more practical. It's 
also the networking time and connecting with other people. So at lunch or after afternoon and the evening events, they're, they're also really important where you have conversations and get to know others and industry professionals as well. Yeah. Sounds like you had a blast. I did in a very nerdy, exciting kind of way. I had a fabulous time, but I am quite exhausted to hit school again for <laughs> another term. Well, good news is that you're in good company when we're talking nerdy because this is a STEM podcast. We're allowed to do that. Yay. This is a safe space, <laughs> which is good. Um, so Libby, uh, tell everyone, because some people wouldn't have met you before. I mean, those people at the conference, absolutely. But I mean, you've been doing this stuff for quite a while. I mean, so what do you... Let everyone know, what do you do? I'm a primary school teacher. So I've been teaching since 2008 and I've gone between learning support teacher and that's been from prep all the way through to year nine and, you know, literacy or in the high school it was maths and science but also um, maths and English in the primary school. And I've also taught on class years two all the way through to year seven. And I've done some work in Brisbane. And more, the most part has actually been bouncing back and forth between the Sunshine Coast at Chevalum State School and Northern Peninsula Area State College, which is the very, very tip of Queensland. Yeah, and, that, and that's yeah. actually how we first ran into each other. That is how we ran into each other. So. Um, that was in my second stint up there. Um, I taught at Baminga Junior Campus and my husband is also a teacher and he was at the high school teaching PE and running camps. We moved to the Sunshine Coast to have our babies but while we were up there, my mum and dad followed us up there and my mum's a special needs teacher. My dad's a youth support worker and they stayed when we moved back to the coast Jono, my husband, continued to go up to the Cape and run camps and um, team building sorts of activities with the kids and teachers. And then he was invited back by the traditional landowners to apply for principal of the primary school in Ingenue. And so he applied and was successful. So we went back up with our babies and I taught at Ingenue Junior Campus while he was the head of campus there and then the high school wanted him so he moved over to be deputy at the high school campus and we only moved back again in December <laughs> so it's been a whirlwind um, but yeah we came I came across you when I was last up there so last year I applied for one of the advanced Queensland engaging science grants because I love all of the diff different disciplines in STEM and being a really remote, isolated Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community, the children don't have access like um, other students do around Australia. So I wanted this grant to try and create a spark, some sort of engagement, curiosity about the world around and connect in with fun activities and professionals. So I was successful in the grant and we had a couple of professionals from JCU in Cairns um, fly up and help run activities for National Science Week and share their expertise. 
and we had you along as well to do virtual incursions in our classrooms and to run a teacher PD workshop for us, which was so much fun. Yeah, these things were so fun. And I must say, it was just so cool to meet up with these kids. I mean, I mean, connecting via video conference, uh, sometimes it's a bit hard to get, you know, you know, get the feel of the kids' enthusiasm through a screen because there's a screen in the way. Yeah. <laughs> like that at all. Yeah, and you did so well. I mean, Ingenuity doesn't have mobile reception, so we had everything crossed that the internet was going to be working that day. And um, you did so well because, you know, we had classrooms with um, children who don't speak standard Australian English as, as their first or second language. It's more like a third or so. And, you know, just doing the team teaching, it was really cool to have you do a bit on the screen or discuss and then the teachers and teacher aides going between with the kids and interpreting some of the things that they were saying. Um, it was a lot of fun. No, absolutely. And the thing is, um, one, one thing I wanted to actually ask, which would actually help people out with listening who have not sort of applied for these sorts of grants before, is it a massive process? It's not a massive process. You just have to have a clear idea of what you want to achieve and how you're going to go about doing that. Um, for National Science Week this year, it's become um, like a seed grant. So they're not as much um, monetary value as what it was last year. And that's to try and get kick off a project. So it's called a seed grant so that you won't rely on the grants in the future years. It's just to get your program up and running and then you continue with it. Um, the grant I applied for, it was more money, but being remote, I had to do a lot of ordering of things that had to travel via the boat. So it yeah. came on SeaSwift from Cairns. And Cairns, just for a reference point, is 1,000 kilometres south of where I was. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, also getting... Hiller, Associate Professor Hilary Whitehouse and Dr. Cliff Jackson up from James Cook University in Cairns meant airfares. Um, they were fabulous and stayed with us in teacher accommodation. <laughs> um, and, you know, the virtual incursions as well. We had to get some resources that typically would be at your local um, you know, supermarket, but not everything actually was because I was remote. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that before. I mean, um, we've done connections into Alaska State Libraries and some of the schools along Alaska and the amount you actually have in common, <laughs> it's quite, I mean, they, they fly theirs in rather than boat them in, but the same issues are apply. I do remember actually doing a connection to a school and they were like, well, the balloons don't arrive for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a minor panic attack. So in National Science Week on the Friday, we had a science extravaganza day and we had rotation activities. Some were science, some were tech, some were engineering. It was across the school. We had the Bamaga Junior Year Sixes coming down for a special Year Six day as well. And it required a lot of ordering of a variety of materials and one of the orders didn't get processed properly 
uh, somehow just some things um, didn't make it through. So I had received a bulk of goods and there was probably one or two boxes that hadn't arrived and it were bits it was bits and pieces from pretty much every activity that I had organized for yep. the day. And that was something like oh, 12 different activities. And so uh, it was the week before and I was like, what am I going to do? I was making all these plan Bs and the wonderful groundsman, he raced up to um, Sea Swift to the, to the port on the day, on the, you know, the day it came in, it was a Friday. And thankfully my boxes were there and he raced it back to the school. He's like, you've got it, you've got it. So then I spent the next week just planning out everything and getting all the resources sorted. So that was a close call for me. Yeah, would, I would imagine so. And it would have had, I mean, it, this helps your heart keep beating and all that it sort does, of thing. It does. But and the, it's like, oh, no, where am I going to go? I, I've had to order this ages ago, like months ago to get here. But the thing is, that though, um, I, I know that there have been, we've done connections before whereby things just haven't arrived. I mean, I suppose luckily via, via the virtual connections at least, um, is at least the, the materials are on the far site. So the other site might have the stuff. It's just the kids don't get to do it quite at this time. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I guess in some ways it's a learning experience for kids to say, look, not everything will go to plan because life gets in the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. It's a good life lesson for the kids. Yeah. Now, the thing is though, like, I, mean, I mean, by the way, well done getting that, that grant ahead and getting the, uh, the, the you know, a couple of researchers up from JCU. That's fantastic. Um, and the thing is that this got recognised, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. So um, part of having the grant, you do do a, a report write-up at the end and they are interested in any um, media publications that's been involved with it. So that includes um, newsletters or newspaper articles in the local paper, Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, whatever the school um, social media platform is. And I, I submitted it to the Science Teachers Association in Queensland because those people are very much interested in National Science Week activities. And um, they published it in one of their um, journals. So I got to be the teacher profile in the front and they published the article in the back of their journal as one of the articles. So that was pretty cool. Oh, that's well done. And the thing is they, I mean, we're, we're lucky in that we get to go to like, you know, seriously, I can't remember, wouldn't be able to actually name the right number. I don't know, 60 schools during that week or something like that. Um, <laughs> the, the thing is the number of schools who are doing really cool stuff, but then they don't let other people know. No, I know. And often you feel like you're in this isolated space, but everyone's doing the same sort of stuff and everyone's searching for the same resources and, you know, hacks and shortcuts. And we just need to get better at sharing. That would be great if we could get better at sharing. Absolutely. I mean, I mean if you've written something up, and you know, send it into your local state science teacher association, something. I mean, you be might have different names for this in other countries, but... Yeah having it out there for people to read over or even just chatting on Twitter or something like that, just to get connect with you know, other teachers doing stuff we want to know from you and you can learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I personally scour all these different places to try and find ideas and what are other people doing or 
do they have an open day or some sort of event where we can come and see and visit their their school or their classrooms that that's what i'm also interested in yeah and the thing is like something you're clearly also interested in and having just got back from that conference which was around mathematics i mean this is something you very much deep dive in in the primary sector yes very much so um so I, I kind of get pulled in two directions because I love science so much. And then I also love math so much. And I'm trying to rein myself in in the tech space as well because um, you can't do everything at the level that I would like to. Um, but yes, in the primary school, um, so important to have a really great grasp on the content and to see how it plays out then in high school and how it then leads into future career pathways and in industry and having a solid foundation for the children in primary school is so important. So I do, I do get a bit carried away in the, the research space of mathematics just because I want to understand it all better and do a better job in the classroom. It's the same in science. I get a bit carried away in that space too. So in, um, Mathematics education can take a whole bunch of different forms for all different age groups. (laughs) It really does. I mean, what are some of the things that you've seen that you go, you know what, this just works? Um, For mathematics, what what I personally have been going really deeply into right now is trying to do more in the problem-solving and reasoning space and actually really focusing in on the reasoning And with that, it's around, you know, establishing routines on a day-by-day, lesson-by-lesson basis so that children are exposed to the language of reasoning and the language of problem-solving and working with activities that take them in that direction with the proficiency strands. Because I think, especially, I don't know if it's just a primary school thing or if it goes all the way through, But I feel like we often focus in on, you know, the understanding and building procedural fluency. So we just continually practice questions and, yeah, do the kids get it? Yes. And you might do a few problem solving bits and pieces along the way. But sometimes it feels like it's this add on to maths that, you know, oh, problem solving is what you do at the end when it's something that you do the whole way along. And it's just about, you know, developing that routine in the classroom. And it's fun. You do lots of fun, hands-on, engaging, manipulative, inquiry-style lessons. And you can make it accessible to all learners just by having that low-floor, high-ceiling approach. Absolutely. I mean, um, I just got back. Uh, actually, I was in a rush just to get be able to make this podcast on time with you. Uh, we're heavily involved right now with the holiday programs, and one of them is being delivered out the Australian Botanic Gardens, whereby we're doing a working mathematically program called Number oh, Crunch. Fantastic. And I must say, it's kind of a Trojan horse for mathematics. It's straight up science experiments yeah. uh, where the kids are just doing all these science experiments, getting numbers, and putting them in these images into equations and finding out. Do your numbers actually make sense? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I love it though. Um, last week, you, you'll probably like this, um, Dr. Alan Finkel, who's the Australia's chief scientist, he gave a keynote address and his background is obviously um, engineering and high-end science. But he, one of his 
key messages was that mathematics is the language of science. You know, you can't have science without the mathematics and you need that math to be a foundation to make your science make sense. Yeah, I mean, it's qualitative versus quantitative, yeah? Yeah, 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 definitely. And I just love how, um, yeah, when you bring out the maths in science, you help see things in a different way as well. It kind of gives it a bit of substance to, you know, science is all about theories and is it predictive? Can you test it? Can it be proven? And the maths just helps back it up a little bit with some evidence. Yeah, well, this is the thing, like, sometimes kids will happily with a smile on their face hand over a thing which, you know, is beautifully created from, you know, the, the maths works, it all makes sense, but at the very end, they're, they're giving you a number which makes no relevant sense to what they were actually doing. <laughs> I'll give an example. Um, so there's a, a particular um, activity in that whereby um, they're doing this thing, it's a, it's a mark and recapture experiment whereby they're trying to estimate the number of uh, red plastic koalas in a set sample of color, all these different colors of uh, koalas, red, yellow, but, you know, blue, yep. et cetera. And the idea is pretty simple. Um, firstly, they put their hand into this box of koalas and none of them are red yet. They take out whatever that can fit in their hands with their eyes closed. And then they count out how many got in their hands. Maybe it's six. Uh, you then replace those colored koalas with red ones. So that you've, you've kind of tagged them. You've painted them, so to speak, and yep. you release them into the wild, into this box of other koalas and you mix them up and you then close your eyes and you dip your hand back in again and the idea is is that uh your hand comes out on the second uh you know sample of the koalas some of these koalas may be tagged red some may not be tagged at all uh and it comes down to just plugging into a little bit of a formula to work out what is the estimation of number of koalas in the sample and the thing is the kids concept of what happens when zero turns up in a formula. So uh, that what happens is that you, the kids will, they'll be looking at this box of koalas, which frankly only holds about 160 koalas. They'll happily tell you that there's infinite koalas in there. <laughs> and you go, okay, let's work out the mass. Yes, you are very correct. It's infinite. Um, do you think it's infinite? Yes. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like that connection between what's happening on their paper versus what they're seeing in front of them. And yeah. that's really quite difficult. Yeah. And yeah, that's the part of science investigation where they really need to analyze their data and evaluate it. And, you know, that whole um, checking, cross-checking with the peer as well, you know, did your observations not only line up to, you know, your hypotheses and what was actually conducted, but how does it line up to a partner as well? And then the discussions that stem from if they are different. Yeah, and it's and it's amazing just how once they start doing that, how close they can get to the true answer. I mean, there's a um, there's a station in there which I love. You, you, I can never say the words. So I'm going to mess this up on the podcast. But anemometer, I always go anemometer. So anemometer. So they have a simple handheld anemometer, and they're meant to measure uh, the wind speed of a fan. Mm-hmm. Now, um, if they put the anemometer right in front of the fan, well. It wants to spin, but it can't because one side is getting hit by the wind and the other side is getting hit by the wind, which pretty much makes it stationary. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, the wind speed is well, nothing. And go, well, you're feeling something. Uh, or otherwise, they'll put something into their mathematics whereby they're saying, well, the wind speed is about uh, 200 kilometers per hour. This is out of a fan, right? Like yeah. a desk fan. And we go, okay, I understand. So we then go, right, let's just put your mouse off to one side. There's this thing called the Beaufort wind scale 
which mm-hmm. talks about calm seas through to a full-blown you know, cyclone slash hurricane. And what you would see on land or on the sea based on what the trees would be doing or what the waves would be doing. And we just say to the kids, so if this fan was in front of a tree, would it rip it from the ground? No. Okay. And you work backwards from there and the kids can usually work out, well, actually you'll probably make the leaves rustle and they'll go, well, that's about 15 kilometers per hour, give or take. Great. Now we've got an estimation of what we possibly should be, might be getting in our mathematics. And let's now go back to the numbers and work out where we went wrong. Yeah, that sounds like so much fun and a great way to spend the holidays as well for the kids. Oh yeah, it's it, um. We, we talk with the parents. They they, they fully acknowledge it. And you know, I said it before. It's a hundred percent is a Trojan horse program. Yeah, <laughs> but they love it. The kids coming yeah. out, they come out just going. You know what? I get why we're learning maths. They don't say we understand maths because, frankly, um, any lecturer in mathematics will say they're still learning what mathematics is. <laughs> oh yeah, and that's so important that the kids un- that their kids learn that you know the learning doesn't stop. You never have fully learn everything it continues to flow with different applications and new discoveries and you know when things don't go right and don't go according to plan that's often the best discoveries that come from that yeah absolutely i mean so so when you were actually at the uh, at the conference you know last week what was what were you presenting about um the keynote was on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander learners of mathematics and reflecting on um, some of the things that I did up in the Cape. And, yeah. yeah. And um, I imagine it was, it was quite, quite, you know, quite well received because you know, that's why you're asked to be a, a keynote. Yeah. I mean, so what yeah. were you doing up in the Cape that, um, you know, was obviously was you know, worth you know, telling people about? Well, um, so I became involved in a mathematics project called Resolve and it's mathematics by inquiry. So I was one of the champions of the program and that is a joint initiative between the Australian Academy of Science and the Australian Association of Mathematics Teachers. Yep. And so with that, the whole, there's so many free resources on the internet. It's all about um, trying to bring inquiry into the classroom and trial, we were trialing different lesson resources from all around Australia and providing feedback just to refine and become part of this kind of um, national community of mathematics educators. And I was also involved in um, looking at Indigenous learners of mathematics and what are some things that might need to be taken into consideration when working in a remote community. And so some of the things that I spoke about was adapting the content to your context. So you you need to, yes, have a great grasp on the content of mathematics, but you need to see it through the lens of your learner and take into account um, the language backgrounds, the history, the culture of those students. And where I was teaching is a really unique and special place because there are different Aboriginal groups of people and there are different Torres Strait Islander groups of people all in these communities and going to the same school. So there's a lot of diversity in cultural background. So some of the things to consider when you're in the classroom is the use of home language because standard Australian English is just coming out 
is coming through from the classroom teacher. Um, you've also got to take into account that you've got cultural groups that are different from your own if you're a non-Indigenous teacher and you might have a different worldview compared to your students. And so you've got to listen and be willing to learn from the community and the students and your fabulous teaching assistants. Um, I also spoke about utilising your teaching assistants to help you, like to partner with you in the classroom because they bridge the gap between the language and culture between teacher and students. And they are an amazing resource to adapt the mathematics to the context. So, for example, when you're doing number stories, which everyone in primary school does, you write number stories for different operations, um, it's, you just adapt it to use um, scenarios that the children can relate to. So events that are happening in the community, you might use language words that are significant to them. Um, if you're doing money, obviously go take photos at the local shop and all around town so it's familiar to them. If it's timetables, which comes up, um, it's not using bus and train timetables because that is an abstract concept to them. They don't have buses and train timetables up there. So adapt it to something that they do use. Um, you know, you can make your own school or daily timetable instead of bus and train timetables or look at what are some of the TV shows that we're, we're looking or maybe we're going to plan a trip to Cairns. This is very exciting, travelling to Cairns, and maybe we're going to see some movies there and look at those timetables. Um, yeah, and, you know, mapping. We use mapping of the local area with the language names that are familiar to students and mm -hmm. teach all of the conventions of mapping alongside a familiar place. Well, yeah, and you can't even see this come up in um, straight-up science concepts too. For example, just sort of thinking... I remember as a kid thinking autumn, why but the books say the leaves should go orange and fall down. Yeah. This doesn't happen in Australia because most, if you're not from Australia, most trees will just be consistently drab green. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, unless they lose all their leaves. Yeah, it's a, it, it mind you, I actually actually tell the difference between um, European and Australian trees because, uh, and by the way, if you're listening and you're wondering why do they do that, it's uh, the chlorophyll breaks down. Uh, and you, you get all the other colours, the anthocyanins coming through, which are the yellows and the pinks and the reds come through and eventually the whole leaf falls off. What's actually happening is conserving the nutrients. Whereas, well, not conserving, it's not uh, from, uh, my brain just went the wrong way. The Australian bushland conserves the nutrients, whereas the Europeans mm, just drops it anyway. It's, it's, there, are, there are differences. And I remember just seeing it, sitting there as a kid going, well, it's not doing what the books say. Yeah, yeah. As a child up in the Cape going, well, bus timetable, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I know in the high school, an example my husband used, um, they were looking at um, distance on maps by um, how many drums of fuel it would take for the boat to travel between islands because this, cool. is what, this is what they do. They travel... Um, between islands and their dinghy and it's calculated by how many drums of fuel you need and then you have this discussion around um, taking into account weather and currents and all of that sort of stuff and that makes so much more sense than going oh let's look at 
how many kilometers, etc. Um, you relate it to the context and in the world in which they live, and yeah. you value and acknowledge the the rich histories and knowledge systems they do have. So um, something with science, because we went on to science, is trying to embed Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander histories and cultures within the science classroom and sharing those knowledge systems with the students and then also bring in, you know, contemporary Western science perspective and alongside it and give them that perspective as well. Well, that would have been really rich because you had multiple cultures in the same room. Yeah, yep. Yes, we did, <laughs> which is really cool. So it's a really awesome place to have been able to experience. And yeah. again, teacher assistants are oh, a teacher's best friend, really, in so many ways, and the wealth of knowledge and just guidance that they could give, because you could just bounce ideas off them and they'd share their, their um, you know, advice with you. Oh, having it, I mean, the word assistant pretty much says it. <laughs> Did they assist you and help you? Um, use them. <laughs> Makes sense. Actually, that brings up the point, actually. So if you had a bunch of people in the room and you were going to give them some assistance in some way, some, some sort of parting words of like, here's some ideas that might help you in your classroom. Um, I mean, this is kind of broad, right? Because it could be on anything. <laughs> but in a STEM context, um, what kind of advice would you give these people in the room who are kind of general audience. Some of them are pre-service, some are brand new to teaching, some have been doing this for a while. I mean, what were some things that you could sort of suggest, at least from your own experience? Uh, don't be scared to give things a go. Just, you know, have a crack at it and make mistakes and learn and grow from them and reach out to others because there are so many people out there already doing similar sorts of things. If you can, if you're in, you know, like education, Queensland or, you know, department, we have um, discussion lists and people just put out little questions or advice on there and that's a platform we share resources. If you can connect in with your state, um, say, Mathematics Association or Science Association, believe me, every, every subject area has their own association, connect in with them because you'll meet equally passionate educators and industry professionals and there will be workshops and conferences that you can get involved in or just meet people to ask for their advice and freely give your resources and advice back as well so um, we don't want to reinvent the wheel everyone's trying to um, do the best they can in the stem space and there's really exciting and innovative things that are going on all over the place, but you need to be connected to access them. Yeah, that's it, because it's a bit of a shame to be in your silo doing a great job, but missing out on awesome opportunities at the same time. Yeah, and in regards to um, embedding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander histories and culture, that's actually um, an area where there's a big movement at the moment. And so Australian curriculum have a lot of resources there's the Curricula Project, and that's in partnership with um, the University of Melbourne. They're providing a lot of resources on um, particular science concepts. So last semester, with my year two, three, fours, we were looking at, you know, the night sky and space. 
and I accessed the curricula projects um, astronomy resources and that was just so helpful in being able to share um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander star constellations and star maps and their scientific understandings of the night sky and then I was also able to and share you know contemporary western science views of the night sky and it just complemented each other in a really beautiful way and the children um i think learnt a lot more deeply the different concepts because they weren't just all abstract there were stories that tied things together yeah and it's um wherever possible too if i could add to that is um you're in the community talk with the community <laughs> find, yeah. find um, elders or some champions who might want to spend a little bit of time because let's be honest the curriculum's crowded but if you can tap on a resource where someone can impart some cultural advice some you know stories from their conversations around that they would have in their own communities that would be really handy for the kids yeah. to hear from rather than just coming from the sage and the stage the teacher all the time because they want to listen to their own you know people as much oh, as most definitely and um, yeah, you definitely need to be connected with the traditional owners in the nation area that you live in Australia. Um, but, you know, I'm back on the Sunshine Coast and this unit was what I was doing with kids on the Sunshine Coast. So you don't have to be in a re remote location to teach um, the scientific understandings of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander groups. You do it everywhere you are because, you know, it's a fundamental thing to do to be a proud Australian and acknowledge the histories of this nation. Absolutely. So, and if you're in another country, do the same. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You have traditional owners of whatever country you're in and knowledgeable people within the communities who would love, and they do love sharing um, their wealth of knowledge with you. And oh. it's... Absolutely. I mean, when you mentioned the star maps, my brain went straight away to remembering some of the maps I saw from the Mayan culture, Aztec culture, oh, wow. right through to the, the Greek mythology. Da, 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 da. There's so many different versions um, and discussions around it. And, and yet there is a unified thing because funnily enough, the unified part is the actual sky that we all get to see. Yeah. Only issue is that if you're in the south of the northern hemisphere, that's the only thing. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. And it, it actually um, helps create this... Um, like an empathy in children in understanding and learning from another's perspective. So it's, it's a life lesson in itself for children to learn those skills. Absolutely. And um, look, I think you're doing awesome. You're doing a fantastic job. And look, in the, trying to get that information out to everyone is amazing. Thank you very much for you know, sharing that stuff through Science Associations of Queensland, through to going to you know, conferences and sharing all this stuff about mathematics. Ed, it's really good. And yeah, I, I get so much out of it too. I'm, I'm going to share, but I'm expecting to get a lot back in that other people share with me. And just from building relationships, um, you know, I've got people's connections now. We can reach out and talk to each other via social media or, you know, just send an email. But you've got those connections. Uh, absolutely. Look, Libby, thank you so much for jumping on this podcast. Now, I guarantee there'll be people who want to uh, reach out to you. So uh, how would they be able to get in touch? Um, the best way is probably emailing me. Um, my email is lfole13 at eq.edu.au. That's my work email. Um, I, I have avoided 
all social media platforms for my own <laughs> my own personal stuff because I don't want a large digital footprint out there. Um, I do have LinkedIn as my only other way of contacting me. And that's just my own decision to keep a few things, um, you know, cut off from the world because everything is out there. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, it's, that's a, that's a crazy thing about this world, isn't it? Sometimes you just want to, <laughs> it's nice to hide away sometimes. No, and it's also to control myself too. I'm going to be honest. If I was on a lot of social media platforms, I think, that's a rabbit hole that I would happily go down and who knows where I would come out. Yeah, it's, uh, I think, yeah, we all become Alice going all the way down. That's right. That's right. I agree. Well, no, thank you very much um, for having chatted. And it's letting us know some of your perspectives about this, you know, what happens up in Cape York uh, through to contrasting that with, you know, down the Sunshine Coast. And um, I'm sure you're going to have more adventures. It's really cool. Oh, definitely. I just, you know, I take the saying fly by your seat of your pants, literally, I think. I just, that's how I live. And, you know, opportunities come up and you just got to grab it and learn from it, take it, use it. Oh, I agree. Libby, have a fantastic afternoon. Thanks, Ben. You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. Why don't you book us for a science show or workshop in your school? We love seeing students get excited about science, and you will too. Go to physicseducation.com.au and click on Schools for more info. Well, there we go. We just heard from Libby Foley, who you can really tell is an incredibly passionate primary educator who loves her STEM. And how cool would it have been to head up to Cape York and do all that awesome science stuff with the kids up in the far north Queensland area and then take that information and bring it back to the Sunshine Coast? Very, very cool, and I know that she's having a blast. So speaking of which, I hope you're having a blast. It is, as I record this, National Science Week 2019. I hope you're doing heaps of science, heaps of math, heaps of technology and engineering in lots of different ways. And let's be honest, National Science Week really isn't just a thing for this week. It really should be the whole year, not just the one focus week. We should be doing science the whole year and having fun with it too. So on that note, I am. I have to go do some science because I'm actually connecting with a uh, group in South Korea to do some programs on human bodies. So I better get off this podcast. I hope you've had a bit of fun listening into this and I hope to catch you another time. You've been listening to another Physics Ed podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au